We're your hosts, Lizzie Kondravi and Brooke Volkert, and welcome to the All-American Dream Podcast. Today on the podcast, we have Kristen Rowell. Hello. I'm so excited to have you here. Well, we're both so excited, but I'm particularly excited because I obviously work with you. And so I'm just excited to be able to put a face and name and hear all about like everything that I've seen and witnessed everything Brooke's been doing. And it's been amazing. So I can't wait to hear it from the guru. Thank you. Yeah. She saw me eating my beef and mayo Mayo. and mustard yesterday. And she's like, what are you eating? When I'm like, it's actually so good. Like you wouldn't believe it. But Another reason why I'm so excited to have you on the podcast and have you talk about this is because it's changed my life. I know you've changed so many people's lives. You've changed a lot of people in the industry's lives. But because of your background as a trial lawyer, you had to talk and explain things at the average age of intelligence of a U.S. juror. Yes, which is like sixth grade, Which is insane. Uh Uh-huh. No way. And the reality is, I've thought about it a lot because I just gave a talk on Saturday at the Resistance Exercise Conference at the JW Marriott at the Mall America. And, you know, I'm talking to a group of very educated, sophisticated individuals. But anytime you're introducing something that someone doesn't know much about, it really helps to be able to, I hate this term, but dumb it down. I prefer that, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Because there are like, you know, when you don't understand, it's I'm always like, okay, wait, can you talk to me like about, can you right. say that to me in my way? Like, in, you know, so. And the analogy I always like to use is if you wanted to learn, let's say you never spoke French, which I do not speak. If I wanted to learn French, I wouldn't jump to the advanced course. Mm-hmm. I'd have to take the very basic kindergarten level, teach me all of that. And then once I learned it, it's like, okay, now I can assimilate it. Now I can actually go to France and maybe try to talk to the people there. Mm-hmm. You would never jump into the advanced. So I always say when I'm doing any sort of a talk or even any sort of a podcast, I want to start simple first so that people really actually learn it instead of just hearing me like the Charlie Brown teacher, wah, wah, wah all the time. Because also when it comes to nutrition and your our bodies, our health, everything, there's so many different messages that we receive. One thousand percent. It's probably the most marketing heavy industry that there is because there's so much money to be made. I remember reading somewhere that the for lack of a better term, health and fitness industry, so to speak, it's such a multi-billion dollar industry and everyone is trying to profit off of it. So the average human is like, who do I believe? Am I supposed to eat meat, not eat meat? Are plants good? Are plants bad? Am I supposed to have carbs? Do I not have carbs? Is fasting good? Is fasting bad? Wait, do I need to do a hit workout or should I just be walking all the time? If you think about the messages that you hear, right? All of it. So I come at it from the perspective of, I've been a self-experimenter my entire life. And then I, of course, was a trial lawyer, which we can get into, and then I transitioned. And I did that for almost 17 years. And during that time, I really worked on I wanted to be the one lawyer who really still prioritized her health and her wellness. And it was important to me and I was able to do it. So now what I do in this new career, having left the practice of law in 2019 and gone back to school for nutritional therapy, I say now what I do is I help high achievers. So they don't all have to be lawyers. I do work with a lot of lawyers, but doctors, dentists, executives, business owners, professionals, realtors, every different kind of professional, I help you become better at everything you do because it really starts with nutrition and how we spend our time. Well, if you feel good, it's like, you know, my husband says this all the time, look good, feel good, make money, like helps you make money, make money helps you. Well, he says play golf. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. You know, so it is that it starts with like, if you feel good about yourself and everyone has that day, if you feel good about yourself or if you look good that day, you're going into that day, if it's your work or, you know, family reunion or whatever it is like positive, happy, like let's Fire at it. Let's go. Yeah. In fact, my current website, and I'm doing a whole redo of my website right now, which will be launched in the next month or so, but I say on there, look better, feel better, do better. It's exactly that because it's so true. And I mean, our target market, you know, for this podcast is real estate agents, loan officers, and you're 100% client facing. Exactly. So it's everybody's like perception of you. And and it's so, it's, it sounds bad, but it's like, if people see you taking care of yourself, they feel like you're going to take care of me also. I totally agree with you. I tell clients all the time in my first discovery call, I'm like, listen, I firmly believe it is part of your job to be fit. 
And fit is like a generic term. You could say healthy, you could say whatever. But the reality is, if you take care of yourself in the physical, you have more energy. Your brain works better. You're in a better mood. You get more done in a day. I mean, that benefits everyone around you. Mm -hmm. Your spouse, your kids, your colleagues, your friends, every one of your clients, all of those people get serviced better because you show up at a, as a better version of yourself. So I literally, I tell people all the time, I've said forever, I think it's part of your job. And I'll just like share part of my story too, is like I was getting like really sick and people, I mean, some people can relate to this and some people can't because my, I feel like my story was kind of like, I was like, you know, on that blood sugar roller coaster, high carb breakfast, then I would crash before lunch. And then, you know, then it's hard for me to feel productive or get anything done or be responsive or anything because I'm in a cloud of feeling, you know, I'm good. starving. And then you eat and then you, cr and then you're tired after you eat because you eat another high carb thing or, you know, or just like greasy or whatever it is. And then you crash again. And it's like, now I'm on this like steady track of like, I'm not, I don't have brain fog because I'm starving. Yes. Which helps me to like have more hours in the day that yes. aren't lost. Yes. And it helps you actually perform better in the hours that you're working. Yeah. Because your brain is working better. Your story, Brooke, honestly, I see so often. I can't get over how significant of a problem blood sugar dysregulation is in America. And it was really the foundation of the, of the teaching that I went through. And so when I first learned about it, I was like, blood sugar, blood sugar. Okay, that sounds like... Don't you talk about that just in the context of diabetes? Mm -hmm. Isn't that what it has mm -hmm. to do with? That's what you think, right? Well, the truth is, no, it's literally a huge component of how our body works. And so it's related to metabolic health, which I know you guys want to get into today. Yes. So first, like, let's talk about metabolic health because I've like learned, you know, the principles and stuff, but Lizzie hasn't. I mean, she's nope. kind of heard me like talk about, you know, taking magnesium and stuff like that. But yes. <laughs> So like, what is the foundation of it and like how... Well, what do you do to try to live a like healthy lifestyle? Right, yeah, dumb right. it down for us. Yes. Yeah, no problem. So really when you think of just even the term metabolic health, what does that mean? So obviously the root of the word, it comes from metabolism. So it's all about your metabolism and how do you make your metabolism work efficiently? My whole thing is we're all busy. We have a lot going on. If I can make people's lives be more efficient by helping them understand that what they eat will change the game in terms of their efficiency and how much energy they have and how they can actually start to practice fasting. After several weeks of, of incorporating some of the things I teach them, everything gets better. So when I say metabolic health, I mean or rather metabolic flexibility. Let's talk about that. Okay. So it really comes down to the fact that our bodies have four fuel sources. Okay. And that's a new concept for a lot of people. They're like, well, don't you just eat food and it gives you energy and then you go do the things. And it's like, no, there's actually mechanistic processes that are happening in our body all the time. So our four fuel sources are carbohydrates, which is what 99% of America is running on all the time. Now, this is what Brooke was dealing with when she first hired me. She was What she was describing was exactly what she was doing. She would wake up in the morning. She would have a breakfast that had a lot of carbohydrate in it. So that's a fuel source. And then what happens is if you eat carbohydrates, especially by themselves, or if your meal is largely carbohydrates, your body actually goes into a really high stress state. So like, honestly, if one of your listeners can hear one thing, the worst thing to do in the morning is have things like cereal, a pastries, a bagel, sugar I had a coffee, bagel in 20 years, sugar coffee, all that stuff is just terrible for you because what it does is it sets you. I always say, picture yourself, you're eating the bagel and you're literally at Valley Fair. I'll say Valley Fair for your listeners because we're in Minnesota <laughs> or whatever. You could be at something at Disney World, but you're sitting in a roller coaster and you're putting on your roller coaster seatbelt and you're literally just starting to ride that blood sugar roller coaster all day long. And that is what makes you feel like garbage. So when Brooke mentioned, I would get hangry, you know, the hungry, angry. Mm -hmm. That is a symptom of having blood sugar dysregulation. I can go for 17 hours, 20 hours or longer without eating and experience zero hanger whatsoever. So why is that? It's because when I talked about this first fuel source, which is carbohydrate, another one, fuel source number two for your body is dietary fat. So this is, let's say you'd skipped the bagel in the morning, you yep. skipped the muffin, and instead you were like, oh, I'm gonna have two or three scrambled eggs cooked in some avocado oil or butter, and I'm gonna have a half avocado with it. 
and I'm not going to eat the toast. I'm not going to eat the bagel. I might add some greens to that meal just so I could have some more volume in the meal. But that would be a meal that's largely comprised of protein and fat. And so your body starts to remember, oh, oh, I can use that fat for fuel. I don't always have to scream at the person. <laughs> you know, your, your self doesn't have to scream at you to say, give me more carbs. I'm hangry. I need to eat. I'm starving. You know, because I, I, by the way, Brooke, used to, that was me. I was married many years ago. And my ex-husband played semi-professional rugby and I was an avid athlete. And so we used to laugh and say, if we went to Home Depot on a Saturday and we didn't have a sleeve of crackers in the glove compartment in the car, we might kill each other before we got <laughs> home from Home Depot. I mean, because it was like, give me my food every so many hours. It's mm -hmm. crazy. So you either run on carbs or you run on dietary fat. Those are the first two fuel sources. So the, the big one of the big takeaways I want your listeners to hear is really start paying attention to how many how much of your food is made up of carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. Most humans are eating sixty percent or more of their carb of their calories from carbs. Now I recommend way, way, way less than that because we just don't need the massive amount of carbs that we're eating and we really don't need the kinds of carbs we're eating, like crackers, chips, cookies, pasta. Bread, candy, waffles, I mean, you name it, bagels, right? Those are the things we want to avoid because they put us on that blood sugar roller coaster. So first we have carbs, second we have body, or we have dietary fat, and then I just previewed the third source of fuel for our body is body fat. It's a fuel source. So there's a story of a gentleman who, with a doctor's supervision, fasted for over an entire year. He did not eat. And that's possible. Yes. So he was over 500 pounds, 400 pounds. I mean, he, he had a massive amount of body fat on him. And so in terms of working with a doctor and a program to get him to lose that weight, he ended up losing over 150 pounds during that year because his body was like, wait a second, if you don't give me all of this food all the time, all of this exogenous source of calories, exogenous just meaning from outside of you. I have to go to an endogenous source of calories inside of you, which is sitting on your butt. It's on your thighs. It's on the back of your arms. It's on your stomach. And I have to start getting into those fat cells and breaking down those molecules and using that for fuel because you're not giving me any other calories. And now that I remembered that I have all this fuel there and that you let me actually go through the process I know how to do, which is to burn body fat because you're not shoving all this other food in my mouth, wow, I can use this and it's actually very efficient. And so that's the third fuel source. And then the fourth fuel source that we have, and there's a book about this I read called The Fourth Fuel by Travis Christofferson, which is excellent. It is the byproduct of when we start to burn body fat. Our body then starts to produce and create ketones. Yes. This is where this term ketogenic diet comes from, keto, okay? Our body starts to produce ketones, which are for our brain. They're a fuel source for our brain and they're extremely, extremely healing. We never are going to burn body fat or produce ketones if we're shoving carbs in our mouth all day long. Mm -hmm. Because in the preferential way that these kinds of foods get burned in our body, our body has to deal with the carbohydrates first. And the reason for that, if I could just continue on this yes, for a second, because I'm hoping it makes sense, yes. is going back to what we talked about with blood sugar, we all have a, a certain amount of blood sugar in our body at all time. All of us do. So Brooke knows the answer, so I'm not going to let her guess, but I'm just going to let you guess, Lizzie. Uh-oh. <laughs> so if you have normal blood sugar, you don't have diabetes, you're not hypoglycemic, you're just a normal human like you are going about your day, how much sugar would you think on average you would have in your blood? And I just want you to give me it in terms of like a kitchen measurement. Like, I was going to say a tablespoon. Okay. I love your guess. That's actually a really good guess. So it's actually about a teaspoon. It's like one to two teaspoons. It's a tiny amount, tiny. So you may say, okay, well, wait a second. How could I only have one to two teaspoons of sugar in my blood? And Brooke has heard me go through this, but it's such a primary example of helping people understand once you ingest this food, what's actually happening in your body. So Believe it or not, your body does not want you to get diabetes, right? Well, right, yeah. <laughs> it's like, could you please just stop with all of the sugar and all of the cheesecake and all of the brownies and all of the sugar coffee and all of the fruit juice and the jelly beans? And, you know, it's, it's like, I'll deal with it, 
because I'm here to take care of you, but if you could just stop onslaughting me with the Niagara Falls of sugar, it would be helpful. So I've used the fast food example with Brooke yeah. because that was something that used to be really convenient for her and quick, which is true for a lot of professionals, whether it's McDonald's or Starbucks or whatever, people think that when they can get things fast and if the restaurant sells it as healthy or mm -hmm. low calorie, like, oh, well, that's a better choice for me. And as long as I don't get the Big Mac and I get the chicken sandwich, I'm doing something right. I mean, there, there's an element of that, of course, it's true. But I would actually rather that you did the Big Mac and threw away the bun and just ate the meat and stuff that's in there because it's really about the carbohydrates that you're consuming in terms of sugar. I have a lot of questions that have come up through <laughs> all of this. Good. So my first question is, is why then has is it maybe just a society thing of I think of like high schoolers like before like Friday night football games these kids and families right and this is like a tradition is everyone goes over to someone's house and then they make a lot of pasta and spaghetti and there it's like you know we got a carb load before our big game tomorrow but that from what I'm gathering is actually the absolutely wrong thing to do totally I'm so glad you brought that up Lizzie because I also I've run 25 marathons and I ran the majority of, of them as a carb-fueled athlete. And I did the same thing. So the night before every marathon, got to go have my pasta. Yeah. I got to have my bagel in the morning. The reality is I was so, um, what's the term? I was weighing my body down with all of this excess sugar. And I was destroying my digestion. And it's really hard on your gut to have that much sugar also. But the people were probably thinking on reasons on why to do that is to take that sugar to feel you to be able to run faster or harder, perform more, but really it apps, it's actually doing the opposite. Right. So here's what's interesting about what the science shows. Have you ever um, heard of someone when they run a marathon, they get that, to that point in the marathon, it's usually about mile 20, where you hit the wall. Mm -hmm. You heard of that term? Mm -hmm. Okay. The hitting the wall is because after you've been running for about two hours, that's when your body runs out of glucose. That's when it runs out of sugar. So you go through this period of hitting the wall, and then what happens is that's when you transition into starting to burn the dietary fat that you ate. So now your body has finally dealt with all of the carbs that you had, and now you can start you know, using the dietary fat, and you switch to a fat source of fuel, which is a far more efficient fuel source. You can run on carbs for two hours, you can run on dietary fat for 40, four zero. It's a totally different fuel source. The reason that all of us have grown up in a society where carbo loading was a thing, have your pasta to get ready for the race, make sure athletes get all the carbs in, is literally a product of marketing. Mm -hmm. yeah, it is. It's from Minnesota companies. Yes. Yeah, which yes. is crazy. It's really crazy. And actually, it all originated back in, I think it was the 60s, with a doctor who originated from the University of Minnesota. And he is his name is Dr. Ansel Keys. There's a lot of books that have been written about his research. And he came out with something that was called the Seven Country Study. And in this study, because he was at the time trying to solve what was happening around the country, which was a lot of men in particular, were starting to get heart attacks. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of cardiovascular disease going up. President Eisenhower had had a heart attack, and there was this big push around the country to figure out, oh no, why is this happening? So Dr. Ansel Keys was one of the doctors who led the movement about what was later called the low-fat heart hypothesis. We all have to take our fat down. We can't eat a lot of fat because that's actually not good for your heart. And he claimed in his study that these seven countries that he researched, all ate a low-fat diet, and they all had better heart health. Well, come to find out, however many years later, people have dug into his research. His actual research involved 25 or more countries, and all of the ones that didn't support his hypothesis, he just hid and didn't have as a part of his study. So the truth is there hasn't been any real research to support this low-fat heart hypothesis. And so we created this decades of you know, big food, grabbing onto this. We have to have more whole grains. We have to eat six to 11 servings of grains every day. There is no nutritional science behind that recommendation. That recommendation has been a part of the American food pyramid, now transitioned into the my plate, which isn't much better. It was really the result of a lot of lobbying from big food uh, to support farmers who were growing lots of wheat mm -hmm. 
and mm-hmm. agriculture, but it was never was there a consideration about this is actually what your body needs. Well, and what I wish, like, because podcasting isn't a visual medium, obviously, but, like, I wish we had, like, your slideshow of kind of, like, the time where this happened, and then you see, like, a chart of the country and which states are have overweight people. Yes. And it's the entire country gets covered, and then it starts to turn into obese. Yes. And so, like, the, you just watch as, like, this low-fat hypothesis, like, you know, and then all, you know, it transitions, everybody gets fat. It actually creates complete obesity in our country. And we've never spent more money on diet and exercise. Yes. Which is crazier. So it's like you were saying, Americans aren't lazy. It's not that we're lazy. We're working harder than ever to fight this sickness. Yes. But we can't get to the bottom of it no matter how hard we try. Totally. Because no one has this information. So I'm just like, you're such a good student. I adore you. Well, (laughs) she remembers everything. I love it. Well, then the other thing I think of is like also goes back now to like society and the carbo load and things like this is what's thinking is that I'm a mom of two and I immediately had started thinking like, okay, well I'm feeding my kids as an easy necessity for mom while getting ready in the morning is I'm throwing the egg of waffles in the toaster and then slapping peanut butter on them and then getting them and then getting out the door or the pancakes that I'm buying and doing that, you know, which yep. I'm already thinking like Vincent's at school right now with the blood sugar high. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, even like, like just taking the time to feed them eggs, like would make a huge difference. And like, and how, but like society, we feed our kids sugar. Or like, I always think of like Christmas time, they're getting all this candy and cookies and things like that. And, th- and then they crash and everyone's like, you know, can get frustrated with like, why are they, you know, why is it? And it's like, well, they've just been on a sensory overload and then a food overload of all these, you know, treats and things like that. And it really resonates of like starting them from the beginning because all I was only, I mean, love you, mom, shout out. That's not bad on you, but like (laughs) what I'm doing to my kids, it's not like, it's just kind of what you've grown or know, or just trying of how society and keeping up with the times, I guess, works of like trying to just what's easiest to get them out the door, but really you're I don't want to say harming them, but not giving them. You're not the, giving them the nutrition they need. And, and the proper tools to help them set up to be yes. successful. Yes. And it's such great reflections, Lizzie, because I work all the time with my clients. on once they start changing how they eat, they're like, oh my God, I have to overhaul my entire home. Yeah. I cannot believe the garbage I've been feeding my kids. So just backing up to this this topic about our four fuel sources. One thing that I want your listeners to hear, because this is a fascinating thing to learn. And every time I tell someone this, they're like, wait, what? So everyone gets triggered by this. Oh, keto. This is a fad diet. Is this just the new Adkins? Is this just the next thing like the low fat diet? Here's what it is. In truth, every single human who's ever born is born in ketosis. We actually are born in a ketogenic state. And then what we do, especially in America, is we create these kids turn into sugar burners by the time they're two years old. Don't get me started on the garbage that's in most formulas. I wish that we could make these things better because I understand not every woman can breastfeed, but there's so much sugar alone in that substance. And even if you breastfeed, then all of a sudden the next thing is the squeezy packs, which are all full of sugar in most cases. And then they're on the goldfish crackers, which have all sorts of horrible, horrible. But all of these things are designed to be easy and quick for mom and dad. Mm -hmm. And I understand it. And it's not that any parent would willingly say, oh, I want to give my kid massive amounts of inflammation. They just don't know any better. So just going back to your egg waffle example, one of the things I tell my clients is, okay, I get that a lot of parents rely on those. I'm just going to ask you to swap it out Kids might complain for a day or two, but Birch Bender's brand has come out with a keto toaster waffle that has eggs already cooked in it, tiger nut flour, almond flour. It's got some real whole food ingredients. They're frozen waffles, and they're just you as easy. You can do the same thing. Yes. Yeah. yes. Don't even tell them that it's not yes. the Eggo. Exactly. And, but I've, I mean, I have family members who have fed their children Eggo waffles, and I will be at their home, and I'll just take them out of the freezer and throw them away. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, I'm protecting this child. I'm not, I'm not going to allow that. So yeah, it's kind of funny. And then my last question, and then we'll get back to this, but just of everything you're saying is, so I don't know if you know the answer to this, but the 500-pound man who then like fasted for one year and then lost 150 pounds and then started eating again, what took place? Because what you hear in a lot of diets or like fad diets, especially like 
you lose all this weight and then you're like, now I can start incorporating like if someone who's cutting carbs, well, now I can start incorporating a little bit of French fries into my diet or something along those lines. And then what happens? It's a yin yang, right? Yes. And then they gain weight and then they go, you know, so what happened to the gentleman of just starting to taste food again and ingesting that? Like, did he, was he continued to be successful on losing weight? Yeah, it's a great question. And I wish I knew the answer okay, and sorry, I don't. Sorry. No, he's, he's an example. I'm pretty sure he was either monitored by Dr. Jason Fung or someone in that, in that area. Dr. Jason Fung is probably the leading fasting expert in North America. He's a nephrologist, which means he started out as a kidney doctor and he now specializes in obesity medicine and he's in Canada. Okay. And he's written a bunch of good books. I recommend that everyone consider reading the book Life in the Fasting Lane because fasting is a very, very valuable tool that none of us were raised to do. And it's become such a fad. Everyone's like, well, should I fast? But to just touch on fasting for a second, the reason that fasting is valuable is because it's proof that you do have metabolic flexibility. It's proof that you're not on the blood sugar regulation. Because if you have dysregulated blood sugar, and I told Brooke this during our first week of work together, if she would have hired me and I would have on day three said, okay, now we're going to do a 16-hour fast, so you're not going to eat after 8 p.m. and you're not going to eat until noon, she would have been so miserable by noon the next day, she wouldn't have been able to do it. That's what I was going to ask too, because like I've tried to do fasting before and download the apps where it's like hit the timer and then, you know, you hit the timer when you're (laughs) able to do so and stuff. And so like, what do you, how can you overcome um, maybe this is, but like the hunger, when the, like when you're like, Oh my God, I need like food. But, and then it comes almost like a mental game where you, I, at least for me, like start to obsess about it of like, okay, so, Oh, I have like one more hour. Oh my gosh, I'm so hungry. Oh, I have like, you know, but then there's days where I don't even eat lunch because I've been so busy here at work or something, which I know is not healthy for you, but then like, you know, it's not even phased. And then I, and then you come home and then you like binge eat in a way because you're yeah. so starving. Yes. But so how do, if someone is starting to fast or, and incorporate that in their life, what do you, what are some tips or tricks that you? So I would say the number one thing, and this is a great question, Lizzie, the number one thing would be in that window when you're not eating, if you're all of a sudden feeling massive hunger pains or you're feeling like you're hangry and you don't know if you're going to make it, or let's say you're feeling lightheaded, those are all signs of blood sugar dysregulation. So the number one thing the person could do is to eat a source of food or drink a source of something that is straight fat. So if they're, they could eat an avocado, like have half an avocado or obviously you're not fasting once you do that, but let's say you're, let's say it's the morning and let's say it's 10 AM and you're desperate to make it till noon in your coffee. I would put a tablespoon of coconut oil or a tablespoon of grass-fed butter, or a tablespoon of organic ghee. Those things are straight fat, even organic heavy whipping cream for people who can have dairy. And the reason that I make that recommendation is what you're doing as you become metabolically flexible is you're reminding your body, and notice I've said this twice now, you're reminding your body to burn fat for fuel. Why? Because when we were born, we were fat burners. We were born in a ketogenic state. So our body knows how to do this very well, it just can't get back into ketosis or burn body fat or burn dietary fat as a primary fuel source because it forgot because it's been so busy dealing with the bagels, right? Mm -hmm. So we're so busy dealing with the carbs and I'll come back to my example about that teaspoon of blood sugar in a moment. But so the biggest thing would be to have fat. And the reason I say that is if, if you, I know it's not a visual medium, but if you were gonna get on the roller coaster it would just go straight like a train, straight train tracks if you're eating fat only. You get no blood sugar spike from eating fat at all. So when you eat a little, when you eat carbohydrate or even protein, you will go up the roller coaster a little bit. So if you're trying to fast longer without food, I would say coconut oil, grass-fed butter, or ghee in your coffee because it's a fat source that won't spike your blood sugar. And correct me if I'm, I'm misunderstanding this, and sorry, this isn't about me. So I love sorry. it because no, you know what? I bet off. a lot of the listeners have questions that you do. So this is perfect. Tangent here. But like, so if you ate um, healthy, I call it healthy fats. I love it. Like, so do I. Yeah, like healthy fats. If yep. you just ate that way, because when you think, when I think of fat, and this is, I think this goes back to societies. When I think of fat, if I'm going to eat fat, I'm going to gain weight. Right. That's just all of our programming. This is what I do with clients. I reprogram them. But yes, like if I'm with you, you ate healthy fat continue continuously you actually wouldn't be gaining weight compared to like if you 
having those carbs and sugars and going up and down? Is that yeah. cr- is is so, that? I mean, you can't now like eat three avocados at a sitting, right? So I would say here's the way I describe it to make it the most simple: your total calories that you consume in a day do matter. There's a lot of experts okay. out there that like to say calories don't matter. It doesn't matter. The truth is none of the three of us sitting here could eat 10,000 calories a day of straight fat and not gain weight. Okay. We, we just would because we're small people and we're not going to eat 10,000 calories a day and expect to not have a consequence. That, those, that energy, think of it as energy, it has to go somewhere. So unless you're going to walk 100 miles a day while you're eating that, maybe you would burn it off doing that exercise, but it's got to go somewhere. So the fastest way to gain weight, the fastest way, if you're like, I want to put on 10 pounds, you eat processed carbohydrates and fat together. Why? Because those are our two primary energy sources. So you're just influxing your body with energy. You're giving it massive amounts of energy so that, and, and, and the way that fat is made in our body, the way that we actually put fat into our cells that makes our butt bigger or our stomach bigger or that we add fat cells is you have three fatty acids tied to a glycerol molecule. So these are fat molecules and this is a sugar or carb molecule. You need those things together and that's what makes up fat. So I say, as much as everyone hates when I say this, if you want to get fat, eat lots of ice cream, pizza, nachos, pasta with Alfredo sauce, eat things that are carbs and fat together. Which most of America does yes. right now anyways, is eats a lot of carbs and fats together. That's the problem. That's, so that's the that's problem. So this is why when clients hire me, the first thing I do is I jack up their protein and notice that I've talked a lot about carbohydrate and fat and I haven't talked about protein. What's fascinating is even though protein is one of our three macronutrients, the other two being carbs and fat, those are the three, protein is not a storage fuel. You're not going to store it. Your body doesn't store protein. So it's not even an energy source. It's actually, you put it into your body to repair after you've done all those bicep curls. Now you want to build lean muscle tissue. You have to repair, you know, all the parts of your body that you've worn down through your activity during the day, all of the stuff that you've done with using your brain. You need protein as a repair fuel. So that's what protein is doing. Now, if I ate 500 grams of protein a day, which would be very difficult to do because protein makes oh you God. so full. I can't even eat right? 160 grams of protein or whatever. My and she's doing that. it. She's doing awesome. But if you really overeat protein, the consequence of that is it will be converted into glucose, to carbs in your body. Yeah, because I always was told like you eat protein to fill you up. You do. And that and that's like the like if you wanted to lose weight, you eat like a heavier protein. Yes, yes. And look at Brooke. I mean, this is what she's been doing, which is amazing. So my whole mantra is always prioritize protein, fill in with fat, and then carefully add carbs. How is um, fruit and veggies, but especially fruit, because fruit has a lot of sugar in it, but like, you know, everyone always says, and then once again, society, you're told to eat your fruit and veggies, right? Like you're told as a little kid, you need to have, you know, the fruit, the veggies, to be honest, a grain and then protein on your dinner plate, right? right. So fruit has sugar in it. I always thought it was healthy sugar. Is that actually the case? Is fruit actually quote unquote good for you? Or what do you suggest with that? Yeah, it's a great question. So I do use fruit with my clients. I do eat fruit, but it's very limited which fruits I eat because certain fruits have a ton more fiber, more nutrients, and a lot lower carbohydrate content than other fruits. So for example, yeah, I, I recommend say. raspberries, strawberries, blackberries. Notice I didn't say blueberries. Blueberries have twice as many carbs as raspberries. But be, let me get honest, blueberries are great for you. I'm not saying don't eat blueberries. I'm just trying to give you the hierarchy here. Yeah. So the way I think of it is raspberries, strawberries, blackberries are great. Um, apples are awesome, especially with the skin because they give you a lot of different nutrients. There's a compound in the skin of apples that gives us a certain bacteria that actually helps our body, our metabolism work better, which is interesting. It's called Acromantia municifilla. And there's a lot of interesting research about that particular that was name. It is. It is. <laughs> and don't ask me to spell it because I have to Google it every time I want to write it down. But it is, I'm actually taking it, I'm testing a probiotic with it right now because it's in the peels of red apple skin. So like your organic honey crisp apples, that kind of thing. I also recommend that people, if they want to sometimes have oranges, like the full orange, they could. 
all of my clients do the juice of one lemon in their water every morning because lemon is fantastic for you. But I want to just like pause on this fruit topic for a second and think about something, okay? If you go back to Paleolithic times and our ancestors, do you think that some Viking from Norway who migrated over here and lived in Minnesota and it was in the middle of January could eat a mango? Right, no. Right. Of course not. The only way, the only reason we have access to mangoes right now is because companies have figured out a way to get access to food everywhere in every corner of the earth, at least in our modern societies. So you won't see me touch mango. It's very high sugar. What about pineapple? Pineapple is pretty high sugar as well. Now, pineapple does have some interesting nutrition to it. And then my next one was bananas because bananas are like, that's the gas station fruit, right? Like if you're hungry and, you're on go, mm-hmm. and you go and you're like, well, I'm not going to eat the pretzel from the gas station so i'm just gonna get a banana yeah and so what i do instead when i go to the gas station is i get this is gonna sound so weird but i've done this i will get the no bun hot dog from the gas station and like put relish on it or i will get the package of whole raw blue diamond almonds and then i'll get like a quest bar or something you know or now a lot of gas stations especially at quick trips or holidays they have eggs they'll have hard boiled Mm -hmm. eggs they'll Mm -hmm. have cottage cheese they'll have string cheese all sorts of things like that um But bananas, it's interesting. I eat bananas periodically. I actually made a huge protein shake this morning and I put a banana in it, which I hadn't done for a long time. But I weighed it before I put it in my Vitamix because I freeze them and it was about 76 grams. So I just ask people to be aware of the sizes of the fruit they're eating. So what's really interesting is peaches many, many, many years ago were the size of what we now know as a cherry. So think about how for lack of a better term, bastardized, our fruit has become. Because it's been always bigger and bigger and bigger to satisfy American consumers who want to purchase everything bigger Mm -hmm. and brighter. So I just put on my Instagram story the other day, PSA guys, I'm at Whole Foods. These organic Honeycrisp apples are two servings. Just so you know, do not send your kid or do not eat one whole apple. This is two servings. Weigh it out, cut it in half, have half one day, have half the other day. Just because it's available and it's for sale doesn't mean you should eat the whole thing all in one sitting, which is a really interesting concept. I tell all clients, I don't ever want to see you eat grapes. And parents are like, wait, what? I use grapes all the time. Filled with sugar. All they are is sugar. They have some of the most sugar of anything. But if you think about the tropical fruits, you asked about pineapple, those kinds of fruits come from places near the equator. And we actually metabolize food differently when we're in extreme heat and extreme sun, your body actually can take more carbohydrate when you're in those communities. So when I was that in Costa Rica in March, right? It's like how the earth was designed to work. Everything yeah. in nature works really well. When I was in Costa Rica, I had some banana, I had some papaya, I had some of those kinds of fruits because I was out in the heat and sweating and that's when you should eat those, not in January in Minnesota. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. Well, what was interesting about what you said about like the, the fruits that you recommend, they're all fruits that you could grab in your backyard if you had a raspberry bush or you know what I mean an apple tree I do have a raspberry bush actually in my backyard (laughs) so it's it's nice the dogs and I can eat that in the spring which is good this has been a great conversation I'm like I don't like there's so much more that we could cover but I don't want to like overwhelm people from like listening or like you know information overload um but I do want you to like touch into kind of like the insulin reaction like because you mentioned the teaspoon of blood sugar and like what happens when you eat the McDonald's thank you just like give that example yes I think that's a really good example for people because they're like oh okay now this makes sense I can visualize like what's happening in my body yes and even though this isn't a visual medium you know me I'm going to use hand gestures because I always do so bear with me so Remember that you always have one to two teaspoon of blood sugar all the time, meaning you have that much sugar in your blood, okay? So now I just want you to picture you go to McDonald's. And so that everyone is aware, a medium McDonald's French fry has five teaspoons of sugar, okay? That's the medium. So we've already put way more in our body than we otherwise would. Now pretend you got the Big Mac, the large fry, and you were feeling super generous with yourself that day and you got a McFlurry, okay? I can't even comprehend how many teaspoons of sugar that is, but it's offensive. And Americans eat like this all the time. Mm-hmm. Right? That's like how I was eating like, <laughs> on a day-to-day basis. Honestly. And this is why Brooke feels so much better. Yeah. It's just, it's so remarkable once you learn this stuff. And it's been easy for you because you know the why. Yeah. That's what we spend time doing in our meetings is I help teach her the why. And then it's like, oh, 
So if I know I'm creating Niagara Falls of sugar when I go to McDonald's and eat that meal and that that's a super stressful event on my body and my body starts to freak out, that's going to be very helpful. So let's pretend you do this McDonald's meal and then let's pretend even more so, which is also terrible, that you're doing it on your way on a road trip to Wisconsin. So you're not even like getting up and walking around, Mm -hmm. right? You're sitting on your butt. Well, what I think most of our clients or people listening can relate to is that they're going from appointment to point, appointment to yes. appointment. They're in, they're driving the whole time anyway. So not even a road trip, just your day-to-day life as a real estate agent. You're in the car. Yes. Which and then is, if you're eating yeah. something that's fuel like this, which I don't even want to describe it as fuel, but it's a lot of energy because there's a lot of fat and a lot of carbs in that meal, tons of sugar. With the response that happens to your body is, okay, so all of that comes in, and I'm going to hope that this works well into the microphone, but literally inside your body, it's like, do, 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 do. Oh my God, clean up on aisle four. It's like alarm bells, emergency, get the fire trucks out, ambulance. Woo, woo, woo. Everyone is going to clean up this mess of sugar that was just dumped into your bloodstream. And it's very stressful. So the primary responder, I say this is the first responder on the scene of this accident, is your pancreas, which if you were to put your left hand kind of under your heart, like right on your rib cage. That's where your pancreas is on your left side. Your liver is on your right side. Your pancreas is the organ that starts to spit out insulin. Okay, you've heard the term insulin. Yep. Because diabetics have to shoot insulin in order to keep their blood sugar regular. Well, insulin is actually a hormone. And its job, that's usually a surprise to most people, wait, it's a hormone? Yes, it's a hormone. And it talks to a lot of our other hormones, including our sex hormones which is why people that have massive blood sugar dysregulation can ultimately have a lot of endocrine dysfunction, fertility issues, all sorts of things, because they're on this blood sugar roller coaster and their sex hormones are being affected by their insulin. So insulin's job, once it secretes from the pancreas and it starts going into the bloodstream, its job is like the scrubber to clean the sugar out of the blood. Okay, so it starts cleaning and cleaning and cleaning. It's like, oh God, oh God, there's so much sugar. Oh no, she ate the fries too. Oh God, and now it's in the McFlurry. What are we gonna do? And so. Insulin isn't like a magic wand that's going to make the sugar evaporate into thin air. It can't. It has to put the sugar somewhere. Yeah, so then where does it go? So the first place that it goes is your liver. Okay, so your liver can hold about 400 or so calories of sugar, which, by the way, isn't that much. I mean, that was maybe half of the fries. I don't even know. And if you ate a bunch of carbs the day before and the day before and the day before, you already have a ton of carbs in your liver Mm because you didn't do anything to get rid of them because maybe you didn't exercise that morning. You didn't go in a hot sauna. You haven't fasted ever before. So you've got a liver that's already full of sugar. And if you've ever heard the term, this is a very serious problem in America right now, we have kids even that have what's called non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Mm -hmm. And these are livers that are full of sugar. It's so sad. So you want to engage in lifestyle practices, strength training, fasting, sauna, exercise that actually pull that sugar out of your liver from time to time to be used as fuel. So once the sugar goes into the liver and then the liver's full and now the liver's full. Okay. So now we're still cleaning because the insulin's like, Oh God, guys, liver's full, liver's full. Now what? Now what? They're like, wait, wait, I found another spot. Let's put it there. And then the insulin brings the sugar molecules to your muscle, your skeletal muscle. So I'm, I'm doing a bicep curl to demonstrate this, but Brooke has heard me say this before. I'm, I'm pretty muscular. And so I always say I have a 20 gallon storage tank for carbohydrates, whereas most people are walking around with five. So if you want your body to be able to respond better to carbs, if you wanna be able to have the occasional banana or the sweet potato or have dessert and not really have it affect you on occasion, you have to have more muscle on your body, period. It's a storage tank. You either are gonna buy a Toyota Prius with like a, I don't know what the gallons are on that, or you're gonna buy a huge massive truck and have more storage capacity for carbs, okay? So keep in mind, in this meal, we've still got more sugar. Because this meal, your liver's full, your skeletal muscle on average, depending on the person, I've read that sometimes it's 1,000 to 1,200 calories. I've read that some people hold as much as 1,600 calories of carbohydrates in their skeletal muscle. But the point is, you still, even with this meal, that's both, both places are full. So then the insulin is still like, oh God, now what? Now what do we do? What do we do with all the sugar? She's still just sitting here like I can't even use it to move her legs or move her arms. At least if she was out there walking, I would divert the sugar to pump her muscles, okay? So one of the best things you can do is to take a walk after a meal because it helps bring down your blood sugar. But to bring this and wrap a bow around it, the last place that all of this sugar gets stored then is the insulin's like, what do we do? What do we do? Oh, I know. Your fat cells. 
and that's how you get fat. It's literally carbohydrates and sugar going into your fat cells. Now, I will say as a just footnote on this, it's a little more complicated than that. What's actually stored is called a triglyceride, which is the three fatty acids tied to a glycerol molecule. But for the listeners, the simplicity of this, the point to take home is every time you eat a massive amount of carbohydrates, you are requiring your body to go through the process I just talked about. Mm. Okay. So what is this term insulin resistance, which people may have heard of, insulin resistance is the last train stop before type 2 diabetes. So we don't want to be insulin resistant. We want to be insulin sensitive. That's the opposite side. So I help my clients understand different behavior, lifestyle practices, and how they eat to become more insulin sensitive. That's the goal. And it means you want your body to kind of be you want your body to be sensitive to the input of carbs so that it's not shooting out insulin all the time. So that it's like, ooh, fun, we get to use some insulin right now. We get to go do some cleaning. As opposed to when you become insulin resistant, your pancreas is like, I'm so tired. I keep having to do all this work. And then it literally gets so annoyed with you. It's like the boy who cried wolf that think about pushing a button and just holding it down. It's like, I'm just going to hold it down because it's, it's less work. Mm-hmm. And now you can just pump out all this insulin all day long and you literally become a fat storage machine. You literally just put on body fat so quickly because your insulin mechanism is broken and you're just spewing out insulin all day long. And insulin's job is to clean sugar out of your blood and store it as fat. This makes so sense to me too. Now that you're saying this of like during COVID and how so many people gained like weight because they were eating like comfort foods of yes. like pasta, things like that. Drinking. And the only thing that was open was fast food and drinking alcohol, you know? which mm-hmm. is so disturbing. And, and gyms weren't like, come on, come on. <laughs> and then like drinking alcohol and your body can't metabolize. I mean, your body, you think about everything you're doing, can't do any of go through any of that. Just grabbing my water. Sorry. Um, Yeah, it's it's insanity. So does that make sense though? In terms of that example, so when when you think of it, so here's here's just another thing I want to share with your listeners because I know it's I'm aware of the fact it can be like drinking out of a fire hose when listening to me. But there's two important points about this. The reason that we don't want to have that whole clean up on aisle four thing happen all the time that I just gave you an example of is two reasons. Number one, every time that happens you're creating a situation in your body where you're telling it to store fat, okay? So if we eat foods, eat in a way, fast, exercise in a way, engage in lifestyle practices that minimize how much insulin comes out of our pancreas. I'm not saying you never want insulin. We need a little bit. But if we minimize how much comes out of our pancreas, then you won't be sending that fat storage signal all the time. And in fact, this is kind of the the extra bonus tip on this, when you're sleeping, if you can at least stop putting food in your mouth by, let's call it 8 p.m., I've even moved my stopping window up to like 7 p.m., then when you're sleeping, remember, your body wants to be at that one teaspoon of blood sugar. Mm-hmm. It, just like it doesn't want to go high, it also doesn't want to go low. So in the middle of the night, when you start running out of glucose because you haven't been eating, you're fasting when you're sleeping. You know, mm-hmm. you're not eating any mm-hmm. food. Now your pancreas sends out a signal instead of insulin, it sends out a different hormone. And that hormone is called glucagon. And glucagon, I always tell for people who are interested in losing weight, glucagon is your best friend because glucagon is the opposite hormone to insulin. And where insulin made the fat cells, glucagon goes and gets the fat and takes it off to start burning it. Mm. So that's what's happening when you're sleeping, which is why it's so important to not be snacking, 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 eating, snacking. If you keep eating right before bed, even last night, you guys, I got done with dinner at 5.50 or what I thought was a late lunch. And I'm like... Am I going to eat again tonight? I don't know. We'll see. I'm going to walk the dogs and I'll come home. And then I was noting, I'm like, are you hungry? No, you're not hungry. You kind of want to eat because it's emotional and it'll give you a little bit of a, a high and it'll make you feel better. And wow, that protein shake tastes so good. But I was like, no, you're not. Settle down. You're not hungry. Mm-hmm. Right? right. So I just gave myself the benefit of now I didn't even break my fast until 14 some hours in. And so I got all the benefit of that fat burning because I was intentional about not putting food into my mouth after a certain time. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing I want to say about this in terms of the other reason that we don't want to be on that roller coaster all day long, the bad thing about it, and this is especially for parents, just understand this for your kids, that roller coaster, when you ride it all day every day, it creates massive amounts of inflammation in your body. And inflammation is the root of all disease. So inflammation underlies cancer autoimmune disorders, Alzheimer's and dementia. Every chronic illness you can think of is at its root 
some kind of inflammation in your body. So if for no other reason, if people are like, oh, this weight loss thing is too much to deal with, just do it so you can reduce inflammation. It's probably the first comment I get in the first week of my meal plans with all of my clients is like, oh my gosh, I'm like losing so much weight already. I said, well, you're losing a lot of water weight because we've cut out all the processed garbage, but you're also drastically reducing your inflammation. And it is quick. If you can, if you can really reduce your carbohydrate for one week, you will notice a substantial difference in how you feel in your clothes, in your like eyes, under your puffiness, all that. Yeah. I mean, just like a testament, like to, you know, put the cherry on top of this is I'm, I think like week 13 or week 14 of this program. And I've lost like 13 pounds or something like that, but I've lost like 20 pounds of fat. Yes. Which is so insane. Like, because I've gained muscle during it too. Yeah. But like, it just goes to show like it works because I mean, like 20 pounds of fat is like the size of a suitcase. Totally. Like it's crazy how much mass fat is compared to muscle too. Yeah. And Brooke just said something really important, which is this is how I work with my clients. I remember when you said in the beginning of this, Lizzie, that when we were asking about the guy who lost 150 pounds fasting, the traditional story is people lose weight, they gain it back. They lose weight, they gain it back. They lose weight, they gain it back. And typically when they gain it back, they gain back more. Well, that's because they're losing it. I always say, I hate saying right or wrong, but they're losing it the wrong way. Literally what they're doing is they're almost starving themselves, eating 1,200 calories a day, which I don't recommend for anyone, and not strength training. And so what they're really losing is lean muscle tissue, which is the worst because then that tanks your metabolism. So now it's even harder for you to, like, get, to lose weight next time. So I have a lot of clients who hire me who have been gaining and losing the same 20 pounds over however many years, and they're finally ready to get off of that crazy cycle. And I'm like, okay, so now what we're going to do is you're going to take off body fat and we're going to gain lean muscle tissue. I don't care if your weight only goes down a few pounds. Now, the reality is for most of my clients, they end up losing a lot of weight, but I care about your body fat coming off. So if you gain five pounds of muscle, but you lose 10 pounds of body fat, you have dramatically changed, going back to the very first point of this podcast, your metabolic health. All of your markers will get better. All of your health markers, your triglycerides will come down, your cholesterol markers will get better. If you can reduce that body fat and increase the lean muscle tissue, all of your anti-aging markers improve. One of the biggest risks to women as they age is something called sarcopenia, which is age-related muscle wasting, muscle loss. It's why little old ladies break hips and fall and can't live independently. Like, that will not be me. I have this woman that I, I say is like the rabbit I'm chasing, her name is Ernestine Shepard, and she's an 86-year-old professional bodybuilder. She's insane, like in the best way ever. And she's very strong, and she probably looks 60 because she strength trains mm. and keeps herself so fit. And the only reason people are like shocked by the, her story is because you don't see a lot of examples of it anywhere. Mm-hmm. You see a lot of people giving up on themselves. You see a lot of people that are like, oh, I'm just too old to do that, or I used to do that when I was your age. It's like, well, why did you stop? It's crazy. Mm -hmm. And people stop because they give up on themselves. They think they can't because they don't see it happening anywhere. And I'm here to tell you, there is there if you look, there are a lot of excellent examples of people taking very good care of themselves into very old age. It's really cool. Take care of yourself. Yeah. That's like the people. Yeah. Take care of yourself. Thank you so much, Kristen. This has been awesome. So thank you. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me, guys. I really enjoyed it.